Welcome to the Docs Who Lift podcast, where we distill and simplify the complexities of a healthy lifestyle, exercise, medicine, and weight loss. We're excited to bring you a podcast that's a prescription for clinical practice, scientific recommendations, and just real life. This this is the Docs Who Lift podcast. Hey, and welcome back to the Docs Who Lift podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, and my co-host, Dr. Carl Nadolsky Jr. He's not the only endocrinologist in the house, because we have special guest, Dr. Salas Whalen of New York Endocrinology. And uh, one of the coolest Instagram personalities, other than uh, the Docs Who Lift, but I think she's a Doc Who Lifts too. So, uh, she is wh- a Doc Who Lifts. Yeah. <clears throat> Welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about having a discussion with you guys. Yeah. You're, you're famous. You're always on the news. You're, uh, I see you on these uh, little talking head type of things with, with like kind of, I don't want to say call them like ignorant but they kind of are ignorant you kind of it's really cool to see you go whoa whoa, wait wait a second that's not actually the truth and you correct them i love it i think that's i mean that's our responsibility is like to educate people either in the medical field or non-medical field just to give them information hence the podcast exactly so you're a doc who lifts is that right i do lift since in my 20s i I love lifting well tell us and everyone else a little bit of your background you know where you're from what got you into you know whatever whatever schools you went to, what what got your interest in endocrine and um, obesity medicine? So I'm from Mexico. I'm originally from Mexico. I did medical school in Mexico. Um, And since medical school, I always was interested in diabetes and endocrinology because in Mexico, diabetes is the number one cause of death Uh of everything, motor vehicle accidents, cancer. So it was like the first disease that I heard my dad has it, my grandfather has it. So there's uh, out of every five Mexicans, three have diabetes. Wow. Um, so that's pretty high. And then as I started evolving in diabetes, I evolved more into fitness, nutrition, that is part of the diabetes treatment, right? Whenever you talk about glucose control, you have to talk about mm-hmm. weight and or exercise and eating healthy. And then that became part of my lifestyle. And then as time passes, then I came to the US when I was 25, as I finished medical school over there and did my residency, fellowship, uh, here in the U.S. and Albert Einstein in New York and then in Baltimore. Okay. Um, I grew more interested in weight loss because um, you cannot treat diabetes without weight loss, right? And many other diseases. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've built subspecialties due to the complications of, of obesity and it always weight loss is involved. And yeah. once you guide the patient to the journey of weight loss, it's really fulfilling. It's really fulfilling to see the transformation on the patient. And I'm sure both of you see this, uh, that when a patient comes in, they, they may come with an idea of weight loss as maybe something external, right? Or, or mm-hmm. But in the trajectory of the journey, when you guide them the right way with maintaining muscle and concentrating on fat loss and not just total body weight loss, there's a shift in the patient where they start to feel fit, strong, mm-hmm. and then it becomes part of their DNA. Yeah, it's like it's like a mother and your children seeing them grow up, and you're like, oh, now you're set because now it part becomes part of their body of their life. Right? Yes, very much. It's amazing. It's like a, yeah, I always talk about this vicious cycle. You know, part of the, the obesity physiology, pathophysiology, the genetics, all the things that happen throughout their lives, and now the body's working against them. And like you said, yeah, they don't. They may not be exercising much, but then when we get that cycle going the right direction, and then they their activity goes up, even if it's not true exercise or whatever it is, all the healthy things, they just feel better, everything's better, 
treats the underlying driving force of their other complications, then we get into a better cycle. It becomes like their external appearance becomes secondary because now they feel mm-hmm. mentally better, physically better, more confident, stronger. And it's really nice to see that transition from the reason that they came in and then where they are at the end of the of the journey, right? That's awesome. Yeah, it's absolutely. So what's on the inside that counts from head to toe? Exactly. You start, so you started after you got into lifestyle stuff and went through med school, residency, and then fellowship. You started your own practice. Is that right? I started my own practice. I, I mean, out of training, I worked for other groups, right, or for other providers, mm-hmm. doctors that had um, several works working for them. But with obesity, uh, it's such a deep discussion with the patient, right? Some patients or the majority have struggled with their weight since they're children or teenagers. Mm -hmm. So so you're dealing with decades of trauma, of mental health. It's a very vulnerable conversation to have with with a patient that I could have never done it in a 15-minute block or other somebody else dictating how many patients I have to see in a day in my schedule Mm -hmm. without me providing that opening and allowing the patient to tell their story without rushing them, right? I always mm-hmm. knew I could offer more for the patient if I had more time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which goes to the bigger issue of our health, broken healthcare system that we, we all got to keep advocating for. It is. It is. We a all shame. need more time. It is a shame. I, I'm sure every doctor knows that they can mm-hmm. do more for the patient if they have more time, right? Yeah. Um, and Absolutely. that was maybe the reason that I wanted to open my own practice to have autonomy of my time. Yeah. Um, and autonomy to provide the care that I sit fit for my patient, right? Following guidelines and all of that. Mm-hmm. Because also when you work for a big institution, you have to really be in a, in, a, in a mental square and follow what they do and recommend what they say. And you don't have more freedom to design maybe a better treatment plan for the patient. Yeah. Ah, I love it. You're speaking to us. Yeah. <laughs> on a visceral <laughs> level. So you you often discuss using Ingritin. We're a big shills for Ingritins. We talk about all the time that for anybody listening, Ingritins, the GLP ones or GIP now and GLP one. But you talk about like how it's important to have someone who knows how to prescribe these medicines. Cause if you don't, you might see poor outcomes or things that, you know, some of the myths that you see out there, uh, like some of the articles, Ozempic face and all these things and all these muscle loss or whatever. So, and, and inappropriate prescribing, yeah, which inappropriate might lead us to the, to the next issues that are coming up this summer that we talked, we might talk about. So, yeah. So what, what are you seeing out there? What are you, what are you seeing on like people that are inappropriately prescribing or, or not experienced with these and you're seeing these patients or whatever? I mean, I always say that not because you have a medical license, you should prescribe anything because just you can, like I can prescribe oncology medication, chemo. I don't do it, right? Because yeah. I'm going to hurt the patient. I don't know what, what to expect. Same way those drugs, right? I feel like it's such an evolving field that we're still discovering some of its effects, some of its potential effects, positive or negatives, right? Um, and I do feel like the success of the treatment and the safety of the treatment has to do almost 100% on who's prescribing that drug, right? I actually had the pleasure of meeting the the one the person that developed or found the GLP in the Gila Monster, which was in like in the 1990s, because he's in the VA at. Uh, in- was it John Eng? Eng? Yes, and that was the first time, and it we were like so amazed of. Oh, that's so cool. Finding and and he it's because the venom of the Gila 
produces pancreatitis in its victims. And that's what drove him to think, what, what does the effect does it have in the pancreas? And boom, this is where we are, right? Yeah, amazing. But the, the, the incretins are not new drugs, right? They're, 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 they're available almost. We have data for more than two decades now. Yeah. Um, and you fine tune the medication with experience as anything in medicine, right? Um, seeing what, how patients respond, the side effects, how can you minimize side effects? And that takes time and that takes a lot of experience to fine tune a health plan for a healthy plan for the patient, because the problem is, and this goes back to our healthcare system, I guess, uh, and the, the current guidelines of using the BMI, right? With the BMI, we're missing so much information that we, we, we don't know what the patient comes in, right? Many times they have high body fat and low muscle mass, and then you put it in a weight loss treatment, they're going to lose at the same rate, right? So we're going to make patients the skinny fat or sarcopenic obesity that, that we're going to start seeing. And I just, I predict that unfortunately we're going to have side effects or complications that we're not seeing in all these two decades because just more people are going to start using them without the, the, the knowledge and the preparation. I, I always tell doctors, it's fine. We need more. There's only 7,000 obesity board certified physicians. And right. like, yes, I mean, I cannot see everybody. You guys cannot see everybody. Right. Uh, the more people that start treating patients because patients, any specialty, go see some patients with obesity. Any specialty is a missed opportunity to have a discussion about weight loss medications, right? But if you're going to do that, if you want to be part of the in crowd right now, uh, you <laughs> prepare yourself, right? And, and take a course, be, become an obesity board certified physician. Do it responsibly if you really want to offer help for their yeah. yeah, it's interesting, you know, because it's I actually when you were talking about that and you compared it to oncology drugs, I shared it. I, when I talk about that, I I often use, I don't know, like rheumatology drugs or something. It's like, oh my God, I'm not gonna even think about those things. And then, you know, some of the feedback is, well, hey, you know, primary care, we're the ones that are on the front lines. And I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, and, and they have to also take care of not only obesity. But a lot of the obesity complications, right, all the way through type two diabetes, heart disease, all that other stuff, and specialists like us, you know, we need to somehow provide some oversight. We can't just be in our little silos. That kind of goes back to, um, I, think, I guess, it was before the podcast started. We we're talking about our my my department and how I want to really help the front lines and kind of oversee primary care as opposed to you know taking their patients, finding a way to do that, and that goes back to the broken healthcare system too. But it's interesting, you know, like say for primary care, who they do need to be addressing this, at what level is their comfort? Because, you know, Spencer's a family practice doctor, but happened to, you know, go in and specialize in obesity and lipids. But I guess, and we were obviously internists, at least for some period of time. And I, I don't remember ever being like, say, comfortable with, you know, rheumatology drugs or oncology drugs. We happen to have an interest in do extra education, whatever, in obesity and diabetes, I guess I'd be interested to hear about, you know, other primary care doctors who have whatever comfort levels in whatever sort of specialty, you know, and, and to your point, like, yeah, it's, it's kind of a slippery slope, I guess. It is. Right. We need them, but, but yeah, we got to, it needs to be done correctly. So I found really interesting and I'm, I'm sure you think the same way, uh, even as trained as an endocrinologist, I didn't know as much as I know about obesity as I do now after becoming obesity board certified than as an endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. So even as a specialty in metabolism, because mm -hmm. again, this is such an evolving field, obesity medicine, right? That yeah. I didn't feel competent. I didn't, I don't have the, I didn't have the knowledge that I have now after I became obesity board certified physician and after treating many patients 
exclusively for obesity, right? Also, the, the important thing for, for primary care is to remember that before, when we talked about obesity, it was eat less, exercise more. No harm done, right? We were not helping, but right. we weren't doing any harm. <laughs> right, we weren't helping. But now it's like, okay, eat less, exercise more, and take this medication. They're not going to have the time if they're talking about hypertension and their, their diabetes, their osteoarthritis, other things that they come for primary care, right? They're not mm -hmm. going to have the time to dedicate to explaining the medications, side effects, and then fine-tuning or keeping in touch with the patient often enough to uh, discuss side effects and how to help them alleviate it, right? So it, it is a, sl a slippery a slope. Yeah. <clears throat> Here's a question. How do you overcome those, like, just in a private practice? I, <clears throat> I, I know I do, the way that I've always done it is, like, electronic videos and stuff to where they can go watch it on their own. But, like, what do you, what do, you do to overcome that? So uh, I spend with a new patient anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. That's good. And then with my follow-ups, I spend 30 minutes. That's so great. I, and, and I, I mean, I would, even though I'm an endocrinologist, I would say 90% of my practice now is obesity medicine. So when they come to me, I can dedicate that time for the patient specifically and exclusively about obesity and weight. And I think that's why my patients, I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever had to stop any incretin from side effects. That's great. Do you have any dietitians or diabetes educators who work with you either? It's just like really, really just you. See, see, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm luckier that I also have pretty good time, even though, you know, I worked in a big system and now we're starting our own department with a smaller system. And, and, and I think we're going to do better with the overall, you know, way we do things. But, you know, I still only really have 40 plus or my, you know, plus maybe some more time minutes with a new patient. 20, maybe plus some a little extra time with a follow-up patient, but I'm lucky that I have, and I'm able to know who I get <laughs> as far as like diabetes educators, registered dietitians who can continue the conversation. So I can see the person for, you know, 45 minutes or so, but then, okay, now my educator is going to come show you the pen, go through it a little bit more, talk about, you know, nutritional, F, you know, ways to minimize side effects and, you know, you know, even still reinforce some of the exercise that we, we emphasize so much and all that stuff. So I'm lucky in that regard. I feel because it's part of my lifestyle and that's what I train, I feel very comfortable giving a ballpark of what a patient needs to be doing. And mm -hmm. this, again, this is not a diet, right? I don't want many ask me to follow a diet. And this is us removing the patient from, from that, right? From the, the diet idea that I have to count calories, that I have to follow this, that I have to follow that. It's more liberating a little bit the patient from that huge responsibility of them watching everything morsel that goes into their mouth and how it's going to affect, right? I mean, it can tip to the other point. I, the few times that I've seen patients not lose weight on medications is when the food that they're choosing is still very high caloric dense. Mm -hmm. right? if, I, if they have half a portion, they still may have 1,500 calories, right? So yeah. I do make the patients conscious of what they choose still counts, but it's to give them a little bit more of a balance right? To yeah. move that obsession of the plate in front of them. Yeah. Which of course, these medications help them minimize that food noise and the, you know, the thinking too much about it and all that stuff. And it's easier for them to make some of these quality choices. Yeah. I kind of, I do the same thing as far as the diet stuff. I love talking about diet, but I only have so much time. So I give them a kind of the basic initial mm -hmm. stuff for them to, to make some adjustments and then, and then let the dietitians go from there. But I guess, yeah. So if, if people are drinking sugary drinks and putting butter in their coffee, like some of the people out there still seem to push, 
then uh, I don't know. I don't know how much the meds were. I think the butter and the coffee was like 10 years ago type of thing. Did we did we finally put the kibosh on that? I think we did. I mean, we were part of it. Part well, of that. I'm going to take not all credit for it. It was key. It was not actually protein. It was like the key. Right? Yeah. No, they, it, no, it was, it was, it was putting real sticks butter. Of, sticks of butter. Kerrygold butter. Yeah. And then it turned into the key. And yeah. And that was if the thing. You, if, you, if you look up our, our name in Bulletproof Coffee, you'll see some editorials and videos out there from that's our way back when I presented at the first ACE meeting I ever went to in 2014. That's when I ended up on that MedPage Today video because it was just a it was just a case study of a guy that shot his lipids through the roof just because he was drinking bulletproof coffee, and that kind of went took us down that rabbit hole. What do you do? You do insurance? You take cash, or how do you do both, or anything like that? I don't take insurance for the same reason, so I can have the time, and that's why I can dedicate time for my patients and not feel rushed. I mean, you guys know, and this is, goes back again with the healthcare system that we are and and the training that we get too, right? I feel like a, when you're in residency or fellowship or any training, you the option of private practice is never mentioned, right? It, or or they yeah. swing you away. Oh, private practice is dead. You're not going to survive as a solo practitioner. You have to belong to a group. You have to go. You come almost brainwashed that that's the only way that you can practice medicine. But in that way, we're, they're taking all our autonomy from our hands, right? Mm -hmm. And our time and our time with our family. Um, we're still people, right? I feel like, yeah, another yeah. but I feel like doctors are the only professionals that are, are very held to a very high standard of signhood, like almost as like the priest and, and, the, and the doctor, right? <laughs> it's we, true. We should oh. be free. We should not complain. We should not have days off. We cannot get sick. I mean, it's almost like, you, it, no, we're humans. And what I realized is that if you are mentally healthy, if you're physically healthy as a doctor, uh, socially, emotionally healthy, you be you're a better doctor. Your mm -hmm. will do better, right? Because yeah, you're absolutely, still enjoying your work. You're still enjoying being a doctor. Yeah, think about the burnout because of our healthcare system. Think about, and that goes back to the primary care. How we have to find a way to support our primary care friends better. But you know, something going back to who should be you know prescribing medications or you know that that concern. What you're talking about, you know, is very different than, say, the cash-based cliniques and spas out there that are just given, you know, Ozempic, Wegovy, and Mungero to like everybody who comes through the door, right? So that's, you know, that's that's a problem. I don't know if you see, you know, where you are. I, I don't see that a lot around my area in Michigan, but you know, the east and west coast maybe more. I don't know. I, I have patients that are well educated. Uh, I mean professional and they come with compounded semaglutide, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of functional physicians or doctors that always offer the compounded versus the, the, the real medication. So I do, and, and very, something very funny, a, a colleague of mine, friend here, um, Dr. Dr. Lara Devkan, I don't know if you follow her on Instagram. She, she told me, she said, Oh, I thought of you the other day. And I said, why? Because she's like, because now everybody's prescribing this medication and it takes me back when everybody started putting Botox and fillers, mm. uh, right? That it was not just the the, the the plastic surgeon that was doing that, but now like yeah. fast nurse practice. I mean, everybody's mm -hmm. putting fillers, and that's when all the complications and and bad reputation, right, uh, got out, got out of it. And it's like, and I thought that this is going to happen to you. Now everybody's going to prescribe this medication, yeah. and they're going to give it a bad rep to the to the procedure or to the drug itself, right? Yeah. And I and I now I see it. I like, oh yes, this is true. Yeah. And it kind of has happened. I mean, you know, the media, the social media, while it 
it's raised the awareness to a little bit of an inappropriate degree, right? Along with all these things, there's also been the inappropriate uh, concerns raised that we, or those who know how to prescribe it or whatever can mitigate, you know, like the whole, like, yeah, like you said, the Ozempic phase or the, the <laughs> we've done like four podcasts on the low, uh, the, the lean mass loss with, yeah. with semaglutide because of Peter Atia, who, uh, and again, I'm not going to get into what, whoever he's prescribing this to, but he's, you know, he's telling everyone that all his patients are losing all their muscle and all these other things. It's two like, thirds. it's like, Whoa, hold on. What kind, first of all, what, are you only seeing patients without obesity and you're giving these meds to? Or, or he should not be prescribing it, right? Right. No, he shouldn't. He, he does no, I, he has zero. Well, okay. I'm not going to get into, I'm not going to bash him because he, you know, he's a smart, but I think he means well, but it's, that's not his specialty. Yeah. So to some degree, we got to stay in our lanes. I know people don't always like to hear that, but you know, I certainly do. God, I don't go out of my lane because exactly. that doesn't seem right. And it's not, it's not fair for the patient. It's not it's, it's mm -mm. not the safest for the patient either, right? It's not just about masses or quantity. It's about quality. I always say it's more about quality, the quality of care. And that's the reason that I went into private practice. And that's the reason that I don't take insurance is because I believe more in quality than quantity. Yeah. Are they, are, are patients able to though, take your bill and give it to their insurance? Cause that, isn't that something that, it's, that people do in private practice? They, reimbursed, they make it 80% reimbursed and make it some mm -hmm. percentage reimbursed, but usually all yeah. just get some reimbursement. How do you get your patients to lift weights? Cause you talk about that. I mean, obviously we're docs who lift. We love it when our patients lift weights, but you, you talk about it too. Yeah. Because I do body compositions on every visit mm -hmm. and I think mm -hmm. it helps the patient a lot to visualize the muscle loss, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and what I found incredible and it blows my mind, uh, every time is to see how muscle it's part of the weight loss treatment. It's part of how much you put, they're going to lose and how much body fat they're going to lose. Because I've seen many patients that they lose 20 pounds maybe, uh, and they lost five or six of muscle, their percentage fat goes up, right? So it, muscle mass will help it or make it more difficult for the weight loss. It's part of, of the treatment. So when patients can see that visually, how it's the muscle loss is affecting their fat loss, even though they lost 20 pounds and they were happy. And now they see, oh, no, I didn't even lose fat. I just lost muscle. It changes something on the patient. And, and once they start seeing muscle build up, they get hooked. I mean, you know, when you lift weights and you see the results and you feel stronger, yeah. it just becomes part. Of, you don't want to go back ever to not feeling like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think patients visualizing and then seeing the results of their effort, it just gets them into weightlifting and exercising. That's great. I just, I just tend to beg and plead, <laughs> please lift some weights. <laughs> How is like, I, going? Just, I, going? I mean, it, to some degree it, it does well. I, I, I do, I'm just like, I, I'm just telling you, if you can prioritize anything, we got to do some strength training. And I just talk about the health benefits, you know, just, yeah. I'm just like, I'm like, I know it seems cliche, but I'm just begging you, please, any, anything will get you started. We got to keep your muscles healthy. And, and I like to tell my patients, you have three best friends in your weight loss journey. Water, right? Because of the dehydration and that protein and, and strength training. And then I said myself, because then I can, <laughs> I can guide you and help you if the other things yeah. are not happening, right? But I think protein is key to not lose, lose muscle. I've seen that now. I've seen also the opposite when the patient just do does strength training, but we don't do nothing about the protein, they may still lose muscle or they may not gain muscle. It, it really, to build muscle, there has to be the protein and the strength training. To preserve muscle, I see more impact of protein than strength training. Mm. 
So you're really pushing the protein shakes. <laughs> yes, because we're putting them in drugs that are not going to let them eat 100 grams of protein. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So they have that's another that's another thing for people to realize. Yeah, we can supplement and replace. I have to get creative and just sneak in protein here and there. What are what are you doing about all the shortages and the and the Manjaro coupon? Uh, well, so yeah, I guess I guess might as well just bring that up. Let's just that's let's just go into it. The news, right? Breaking. That we just talked about breaking news this past week. While I was at Ace, where were you? By the way, you were supposed to go to Seattle um, to the Ace meeting with me. Anyways, yeah, you. <laughs> Anyways, you know, yeah, it, it was even the Novo reps didn't know until it like was breaking that suddenly there was going to be more shortages or reduced production or whatever of Wegovy, specifically the semaglutide that's at the dose for weight loss, approved for weight loss for obesity. Um, not necessarily, I didn't hear anything about Ozempic. No, that's apparently fine. But then at the same time, unfortunately, this is all going to be confounded by the. Um, the expiration of the Mungero coupons, which were being used maybe beyond what they should have been over the last year. So yeah, what what are your thoughts on all that stuff? I mean, it, it really amazes me that such pharmaceuticals as Eli Lilly and Novo Nordis didn't anticipate that it was going to be so successful, these drugs, right? Yeah. And yet they, they, I thought they did. I mean, and it's like, we all did. How did they not? Exactly. They're the they're the ones making billions of dollars. And and now with I mean, and the WHO predicts that in seven years, fifty percent of the population worldwide will have obesity. So this is just this is just the tip point. This is just the tip point of I think this is going to change the way we practice medicine. Just the tip. Um, but I feel like it's hard to deal with the shortages, right? I I think it's hard to to deal with the shortages. <laughs> that. Uh, um, and it's just helping the patients to navigate the shortage. It's just month by month, week by week, we can with working with pharmacies that provide it, pharmacies that don't provide it. I call it the hunger games because I see my receptionist and my assistant, like calling pharmacies who has it, who doesn't have. Oh yeah. Games, mm -hmm. right? That's um, crazy. and unfortunately until there's no more production, uh, and more, more pharmaceuticals make their own type of incretin, right? then we're going to see less of the shortage. But otherwise, the, the pr production does not meet the demand for sure. At yeah. this point. And, and hopefully the cost too, because there are, there, you know, I think we've mentioned this on the podcast several times, there are plenty of very promising similar types of therapies coming through the pipeline. They're just not out yet. They're not FDA approved yet, but they certainly, we expect them to be several different ones. So hopefully supply, cost, can come down and, and still have all the benefits, but yeah. I have my, my 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 own personal opinion on that. Definitely, medications should be should be more accessible for for more people, right? Economically, but I also, if you think about plastic surgery, right? If you think about uh, like liposuction, tummy tuck, all those surgeries that they do, um, because the patient wants to lose weight, right? Because the patient wants to slim down, and they cost. I mean, here in New York, you can mm -hmm. spend 50000 in it and something, right? I mean, um, if you think of the cost of, of surgery, even also bariatric surgery, if it's not covered, or the long-term complications of obesity and the, and the money that is spent on that, I do feel we want to educate also the consumer and the, and the general public that this is an investment in their health. Yeah, you're right. This is really, if you're going to spend money on something, definitely, and, and you need it, right? This is something that should be invested. because. 
can have a, a, a tummy tap, you can have a liposuction, but you're still going to have diabetes. You're still they're not touching your visceral fat, right? Right. You can still be metabolically unhealthy, but $20,000, $30,000 less. So yeah. versus investing in medication that actually is improving your metabolic health, your mental yeah. health, yeah. Uh, then let's think about numbers and what is worth investing our money on, right? I think more and more patients, hopefully, they'll start doing more weight loss medications than, than plastic surgery. I mean, there are different, like breast implants and other things will not, yeah. not replace that. But in plastic surgery to reduce mass, I think this is going to, should take, take over and invest money on that. I, I heard in Mexico, though, it's like true, these Ozempic pens or Wegovy pens. I don't know if they have Wegovy down there, but it's only yet. like 100 or 200 bucks. That's the thing that right? here in the U.S., the prices, right? Pretty much anywhere outside the U.S., I've heard more or less approximate of $200 per month. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. yeah I, had, I had a patient come see me from Florida who has a, like a Brazilian connection. And he said a lot of his, you know, he knew a lot of people in Brazil who were getting it for, yeah, $200 to $300. Again, it was Ozempic. But you know, whatever we can. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Monjaro in Dubai is like two fifty. Oh my god. Those people so, in Dubai have a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, just just for everybody that's listening, Wegovy, it's it's one milligram and below. They're 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 gonna see the demand is just yeah. higher than the supply they can. So hopefully nobody who's already on it maintaining. That shouldn't be an issue, according to our sources. Uh, I'm a, right? Yeah, if they're already on two point four, they should be fine. But I'm already seeing people that are on like point five, and they want to go to one. It's gone, so it's like, do they need to jump up to one point seven? That's a huge jump. Yeah, that's a huge and, jump. And, and I don't know. Well, I don't know if, I, there there are ways around it. I don't know if we necessarily yeah, want to get into exactly. off label stuff here, but you know, so luckily we do. We have samples. There are sometimes ways to get some off label coverage. So yeah, the Ozempic version of semaglutide. Again, for everyone out there, same exact drug, <laughs> different different pen devices. So we can use those. But I know all three of us are on the same page, as are all real obesity specialists, endocrinologists, etc. That don't fall for the compounding. Yeah. Semaglutide. Every time I say that, people get really mad at me on, yeah, it, on TikTok. They like they think I'm a, just a big pharma shill. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you guys. Yeah, I know. I mean, we yeah, we have zero financial gain from from the company that makes it. We just would never ourselves take or give to our patients compounded yeah. semaglutide because we just have no idea what what the heck is it? Where are they getting it from? Apparently from China. But you know, know what I would, I would argue a little bit further than that is who the person that's prescribing you a compounded semaglutide i'm pretty sure they have no clue on how to manage these drugs right that right that's because yeah. yeah that that should be a huge yeah. red flag in red general flag. it's a red flag right you can get i mean I, I think many people are just trying to get it to get it and they don't mm-hmm. care how yeah. giving it to them which is a shame right yeah. again they may be skinny fat um or have complications that could have been prevented but i i would question more who's giving you who's actually recommending the the compounded semaglutide then yeah. unlikely that any obesity specialist unlikely right. that any endocrinologist will be recommending yeah which are the trust people that you would trust right yeah ironically you know they they yeah, then they say oh you guys just follow the money to pharma pharma money but think about it, it's how ironic that is that we could we could make tons of money Way more. selling compounded semaglutide if we yes. shield out for that that's how the, that's what they're doing it for they're doing it for the money not for people mm-hmm. and, and also, God, i hate it if a cardiologist talks about a blood pressure medication, is he 
selling because of the money. That's our specialty. What else? TikTok, um, TikTok thinks that. TikTok. What else? That's what people think. They think they're all doing that. It's a. It's that's horrible. Training. That's yeah. what we do. That's what we do every day. That's why we know it works for the patient. If somebody's talking about insulin, are you being sold by pharma? Just giving insulin to the patients? Well, that's, that's what they think. That's what they say. They <laughs> it's do. amazing. Kickbacks for statins and stuff like that. Yeah, they're they like, all right, well, what do you want? Like, I don't care. You don't have to take anything. Fine, whatever. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, everybody out there, just if your physician tells you, you know, suggests a certain medication because the benefits outweigh the risks and whatever your situation is, it's not because of pharma giving anybody any money. But, you know, there, there, there are issues with pharma. Don't don't get us wrong. Yeah. That's, you can that's actually thing, look but, it up. Open open payments. Yeah. Well, but hey, I, I, I like my lunch. But even even if you can discuss food industry, right? I mean, the right. Oh, it's horrible. It's a multi-dollar yeah. business industry and has zero interest in the health of the consumers, right? They just yeah. want to make money. Environmental factors, the plastic, the pesticides. Uh, I mean, yeah, we have many things, but but this is a treatment that we can actually do something for the patient. But is it the the, the only uh, cost or the only thing that will benefit? No, there's. Food industry could definitely improve environmental factors, the climate yeah. change, but they're 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 very broad things for us to change that hopefully eventually will happen. But right now we have to concentrate on what we have and what yeah. we can do for the patient. Talk about conflicts of interest out there! Holy cow, yeah. jeez, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. We're gonna have to when we go to yes. New York, we have to check out your little office. And- yeah, come. Oh yeah. See how see how you practice up there. I bet it's pretty swanky. So um, thanks, thanks so much for coming on. She's like, I don't know about that. But you know what? It's like never assume who will invest or not on their health. Yeah, I have all ranges. I have from people that clean houses to very high people, right? So it's mm-hmm. just the interest in and feeling better. Yeah, I but you're it. also. I mean, you're. Yeah, I guess the thing is, you're not charging exorbitant prices. You're charging appropriate. For New yeah, York. you're you're just a clinician clinic. You're not uh, some med spa charging a thousand dollars to get compounded smegazide like they do. God. Yeah, uh, but but you also have to value your work, right? Because again, yeah. how yeah. much plastic surgeon is going to charge for a tummy tuck and like oh, yeah. improving their metabolic mm-hmm. numbers? Tens of thousands mm-hmm. of dollars. Yeah, right. We, I mean, what we are offering is very high, beyond just the the, the external part, right? It's more important quality health. of life, quality right. of life improvement. That's right. Thank you so much for coming on, everybody. Give us a review. Share this with somebody it resonates with. And make sure if you're in New York and you want an endocrinologist, you got one right here with Dr. Salas Whalen. And free education on TikTok and Instagram. Yeah, Yeah. check her out. Check her out on Instagram and TikTok. She has great (laughs) videos. Here's our outro. This podcast is for entertainment and education and information purposes only. Remember, the physicians on this podcast are not your physician. It should not be considered professional or personalized medical advice. It should not be used to replace speaking with your physician or medical professional to discuss your specific health concerns. The topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose or treat any condition. As a result, we are not responsible for any unwanted medical outcomes. The views and opinions discussed are of those of the host only and do not represent those of any other entities. Thank you.